0: Saddle. He wore a shining star His job to offer battle To bad men near and far He conquered fear and he conquered hate He turned dark night into day He made his blazing saddle A torch to light the way Hello, and welcome to Sideshow. I'm Jacques. I'm Joe. And Joe, I think this is the first Sideshow that you, in the middle of the week, said, Hey, let's do this. into which I was instantly giddy. Yeah, I thought we
1: should probably, since we're touting ourselves as comedy nerds, I thought maybe we should talk less about the comedy in the White House and more about the comedy that we grew up with, the OG comedy.
0: And when you say OJ, you you truly are going back to the oest of G's. The oest of G's. Uh, we of course are talking. You know, the opening clip didn't clue you in. Why would you listen to Joe? And I? Mm. Why would you listen to us? Anyways, but uh, Mel Brooks, absolutely absolute hero status uh, across the board with me. Writer, director, uh, actor. Actor. Yeah. You know. Uh, no. We'll say typecast. (laughs) (laughs) He plays a lot of rabbis. You know, um, so so we'll start at the beginning. Uh, One of the fun things for me is when Joe said this, you know, instantly, you know, I flash back to like my favorite Mel stuff, did some reading. I've seen a bunch of documentaries. Actually, of the few books I've read in my life, a few of them are biographies or autobiographies on these guys. And, and Brooks has been one of my favorites. Uh, I, I I knew him – well, I didn't know him. Obviously, it was 20 <laughs> years before I was born. But I knew of his work. I knew that he was one of the original writers on Sid Caesar's, your show of shows. I think I was introduced to your show of shows via you. Yeah, when, when, when collecting VHS became a thing or it, when we drove across the country one time – I had old radio shows and old TV shows that you know that were put on cassette and stuff that you could listen to. Because a lot of their comedy, you didn't have to see. I mean, it's it's great visually, but I remember, you know, there's a, it's like the year 68 and 69. or no, I'm sorry, 58, 59. I was born 69, like 10 years before I was born, that the writing staff of your show of shows was Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, um... Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. no, Oh, yeah. Um, Simon. Neil Simon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you look. It's like, okay, after that show, what did they do? Well, Neil Simon goes on to be like probably one of the most prolific playwrights of the second half of the century. Uh, Woody Allen goes on to be Woody Allen. You know, unbelievably great. But that writing staff, I mean, Sid Caesar... Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Neil Simon, Woody Allen. I, I, I can't imagine that Saturday Night Live at any one point of time had a writing staff that that diverse.
1: Oh wait, that, that will go. <laughs> See, they were not
0: a bunch of you know um, Cuban immigrants yes. getting together. A bunch of good Christian boys, right? Is, is what it comes down to. boys, as I like uh, to call them. But so, so what's but what's funny starting at the beginning. I didn't realize – I knew that Mel Brooks came up like most good Jews of the era through the Catskills and through um, – what was the other? Vladimir? No, no. Uh, oh. Bolshevik. Uh, oh, the, oh, the Borscht Belt. Borscht Belt. Yeah, the Borscht Belt and, and the Catskills. That's where those guys you know, horn their craft and stuff like that. What I did not know is that he didn't start off as a stand-up comic after getting home for World War II. What did he do? He was a drummer. What? And a piano player. A pianist? A pianist. Like, And, and we've talked about it before. When you go back... I mean, as much as all those guys, like a Henny Youngman who pretended to be a, a bad, you know, violin player, or Jack Benny, like the running joke for decades, he was a horrible violin player, they were all virtuosos. They were all studio musicians, touring musicians with the vaudevilles, you know, like Mel Brooks. You couldn't be a funny guy. You couldn't be an MC. You had to dance well. You had to sing Okay, you had, to, you had to do everything really good. And again, you know, it's a different show, but like the Marx Brothers, it's like two of my favorite piano players of all time are Chico, and you know why Chico played the piano?
1: Because he needed the money.
0: <laughs> and and um, Harpo was an, not only an amazing harp player, and how often can you say that, but when you see their dueling piano things, completely different styles, completely awesome, but It wasn't a surprise, it was a surprise to me that I didn't know that, but that's what it was, and it was a classic story. One of the stand-ups, one night, couldn't go on, and Mel was just ready to step into the role.
1: Yeah, he really did um, sort of usher in, or helped usher in like a new era of comedy, like the post-war comedy that um, carried into the 60s and 70s and beyond.
0: So, um, how much of your show of shows? I mean, do you remember a lot of it? I'd probably only seen maybe like one or two episodes, full episode, but you have the box set of the 2000 year old man.
1: Yes, I do have a CD set of the radio productions Four, actually yeah, the other four albums. Uh, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks with their 2000 year old man routine. For those of you who don't know the routine, Carl Reiner plays a uh, sort of an interviewer. And Mel Brooks is the 2,000 year old man. He's been around 2,000 years and he tells tales of what it was like back in olden times, like Jesus times. You know, he's seen it all, he's done it all, and a lot of it's improv.
0: Yeah, Carl Reiner, the interviewer for The Man on the Street, was a running gag on your show of shows. And this was a one off, this was one of those great stories. This is a one off skit. They, they, in a million years, don't think, oh, my God, we are going to milk the hell out of this cow for the next umpteen years. Right, here's the money train rolling in. Now, again, when you look at that writing staff, wh- you know, one of my favorite things, th- these, these are some facts that I did know about Mel Brooks. One of my favorite shows in the history of television, I love the show itself, and I love the story of the show, The Dick Van Dyke Show. And The Dick Van Dyke Show is based on Carl Reiner's life. Dick Van Dyke was the writer on the Alan, uh, the Alan Brady show, but the network thought he was too old to play himself, so they had him in the Sid Caesar role as Alan Brady. Dick Van Dyke was basically playing Carl Reiner. Even his, his wife's name was Laura, his son's name, Richie. You know, whatever happened to Carl Reiner's son, Richie? I forget. I forget. Uh, but one of my fun facts is one of my favorite characters, maybe maybe on my Mount Rushmore of TV characters, is Buddy Sherell. Played by Maury Amsterdam. I, I remember I wrote, you know, when I was working on a show and a couple of writers were like, hey, write a spec script of something that nobody's writing. And I wrote a spec script of the Dick Van Dyke show, and they really loved it. And probably as my stint of trying to be a writer when it was a good five, six-year window where I was really dedicated to it, I'd never had more fun writing than when I was writing for the Buddy character, right? And, and his his back and forth with you know the ball guy Mel. Buddy is Mel Brooks, like Carl Reiner, one hundred percent. Like I've seen it in so many interviews, it's like the the guy you know Buddy. The I forget the actor's name. He's like Maury Amsterdam. Maury Amsterdam. That was Maury Amsterdam's personality and stuff. But it was when he. Got the role. He got the role because he reminded Carl Reiner, this is what it was like going to work with Mel Brooks every single day. The other thing that Carl Reiner did, I'm sorry, that Neil Simon did, is he wrote a book. uh, He wrote a play called Laughter on the the 23rd Floor. 23rd. 23rd, 23rd. Yes. And it was called that because your show is shows. Um, at Rock Center, had the 11th and the 12th floor. And they added the 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 numbers together. Right. And that was basically also the template of Carl Reiner did, um, basically took the same story and did My Favorite Year, the movie My Favorite Year. And there was a, a week that Errol Flynn was on, and it was... And, as he said it 's more to real life than you would have thought. you know not a lot of artistic license was taken and it 's really kind of funny. It was Carl Reiner writing about Mel Brooks this week <laughs> with with you know Errol Flynn on the show so i i had I had always thought it was autobiographical of Carl Reiner, but no he was writing uh from the perspective of Mel Brooks, so That's not only funny. has Mel Brooks done so many of my favorite things from the era. Other people loved him so much who worked with him. Like, when Carl Reiner looks up to you, when Carl Reiner is basing characters on you, you're pretty awesome. So then um, after that, he didn't do much of anything. No, he just kind of fell off the map. Right. I think he's in some old age home somewhere, (laughs) just counting the days. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, who the hell knows? No, but seriously. So then afterwards, uh, your show shows go off the air. Years go by. The Dick Van Dyke Show is on, but it's not. You know, Mel Brooks isn't involved, but he is still involved in television, and he hooks up with uh, a writer named Buck Henry, and they go. One on of to- our favorites. Yes.
0: One. Uh, one. We'll do a Buck Henry side show someday. He's he's one of he's a one of, writer. One of Jacques Frank. Sandro Padre probably has posters all over his room of Buck Henry.
1: Right. He co-created with Buck Henry. The classic show starring Don Adams about a hapless spy called Get Smart. Would Would you believe? (laughs) Yeah. Would you believe? A podcast. (laughs) How about two guys yelling at each other in a basement? Missed it by that much. (laughs) So we're quoting stuff that Don Adams made famous, but thanks to the genius of Mel Brooks... We got the Cone of Silence. You beat me
0: to it, you bastard. Tell me a better prop gag in the history of sitcom than the Cone of Silence. What? I said, tell me a better prop gag than the Cone of Silence. What'd you say, Chief? You said you want me to shine your
1: hiney? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, uh, hide me the robot.
0: Right i so ahead of the curve on all of this. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it was... I mean, it was the age of sci-fi with robots and Android, and they took that yeah. to the absurd level. And this is James Bond. It's sort of like Clouseau. That's a great way to put it. It's the American Clouseau, but so innovative. So, so, so different. Um, yeah.
1: I and mean, it was single camera, shot on film. You know they had the Sweden laugh track, which every sitcom in the '60s had. Like, you could not get a show on television that wasn't 60 minutes that didn't have a a, a laugh track in that era. It kind of worked though. You know, it, you just sort of it didn't I mean, hamper. And the 40 comedy. years
0: later, was it 2005, 2006? They revamped it with with Steve Carell. When, oh, when the when movie was eight. I think it was oh eight. I, think it was I like mean, 10 so you're years talking. Ago. It was like 50 years later. It, it's
1: and they tried to bring it back in the '90s.
0: <laughs> Do you Remember that? Anyways, but that's when, when you think about. You know, he goes, he, he's his cat skills, musician, turned comedian, turned writer, turned performer. And that was, you know, one of the other things. Everybody who wrote on the show also performed and stuff. So he's a writer on one of the biggest shows of the 50s. And he's the creator of one. How long did that last? That lasted several years throughout yeah. the
1: 60s. I mean, it even had its own really, really bad movie with Don Adams um, in, I think,
0: 1980. <laughs> I think it also, and I could I could be wrong. I think it had a short-lived cartoon version run of it as well. Right. Last thing on Get Smart:
1: Can you walk down a long hallway? No. Nope. Like in a, in a nope. hospital with like nope.
0: double doors and not
1: think. Never. I will never walk down. If we still had phone booths, I would <laughs> still try to like dial the number to see which one takes me to the, the sub basement level. Especially as a kid watching it.
0: Because that was syndicate. That was a Channel 56 afternoon oh, thing for God. me growing up.
1: You know, you were watching it when you were a kid, and then th- 20 years later when I was a kid. I hate you. <laughs> but do you see, like, it, the, actually, I have them on DVD, and I played them for my kids years ago, and they loved it. So it's like, it's timeless. That's uh, Mel Brooks and his TV career, but then...
0: I didn't know he was such a part of the t- TV show The Electric Company.
1: I kind of did. He did the voice introduction of Letterman, The Adventures of Letterman. Yeah, I remember listening as a kid. Is that the guy from, Me right. you Now?
0: But for the purpose of this sideshow, I think, Joe, we will talk mostly, starting now, about his movies. And I'm trying to think if there's a, you know, writer or a director who's, directed more of my favorite movies like Christopher Nolan has done a lot of great stuff but he's done three Batman movies but of the of my top 20 25 favorite movies this one guy has five or six of them in there his first big big movie was the producers and again just like with get smart so different than anything else musicals were big you had like at the time you have you know like um,
1: music man music
0: man will wonk like all, that's an era where it it had like big production numbers and stuff like but nobody took it from this side of like it, the fourth wall down like behind it um it was such an absurd
1: premise it came out in 1967 22 23 years after the world war Two it just ended so there is that uh in people's minds but they Decided to focus on the story of a kind of a shystery. Actually, I don't know how shystery was Zero Mostel's character and the producers because he was this, he's a Broadway ish producer, but he was failing like he was not making the hits that he once was, or you know, he was probably hanging in the business a little too long. And then along comes an Gene, account- Wilder. Gene Wilder, a Leo Bloom who um plays as accountant and tries to. You know, kind of reconcile his books and maybe, you know, he's a sort of nebbishy character and he suggests
0: that maybe they would make more money with a flop than with a hit. Yeah, because so you go out and you raise money. So Zero was this Wheeler and Dealer suave guy who would sweep these old ladies off their feet, just these Broadway hang on or hags, you know what I mean? Old money. Old money. And he would wow them into, you know, they were all widowers, you know, who have huge... I mean, he wasn't, like, taking their last nickel and leaving them destitute. I mean, these are women who had large bank accounts, and he would have them invest $100,000 in a play. Well, if a play goes belly up, it goes belly up. You get to... The old ladies go to opening night... They feel like they're on the end, they're, you know, they're part of the glitz, they walk the red carpet, the thing goes away, hey, you, you tried, it didn't work out. So, But they decide, well, if we had 20 of these little old ladies invest in a play, and we each give them 10%, uh, you know, then we can raise 200% of what we need. The play is a flop, and we make a lot of money.
1: Right, but it has to be
0: a guaranteed
1: flop. So, what do they do? They find, they scour New York City for the worst possible playwright, the worst possible script. They land on this ex possibly Nazi person, yes, played by Kenny Mars, who writes an ode to Hitler. And it's called Springtime for Hitler.
0: And again, Brooks was. In Europe, during World War II, he wasn't this famous person who had a stateside, cushy, you know, USO tour kind of thing. He was in it. I mean, if you think about it, it's like... I've been out of high school now for 30 years. Like, I'm closer to the time of liberation of Auschwitz to this movie being released.
1: That's like us writing a musical about, like, 9-11. Yeah, right. We're oh, a, wait. There is a musical about 9-11. Uh, is it really? Yes. Is it a comedy? No. Okay.
0: Yeah, they, they, it's, not, it's, it's tangentially about 9-11, but I digress. Okay. So they find the play, springtime for Hitler, and the audition for the Hitler role— might be my favorite.
1: Right. So they try to find the worst possible actor to play Hitler. They find this very beatnik guy. So, lo and behold, it's not a flop. And we'll just leave it at that. You know, it was a movie. This was, like, right around Hogan's Heroes times, too. Because Hogan's Heroes, maybe, if, I don't know if Hogan's Heroes came on before this. Just before, right? So I mean, just before, we're getting into the area of like, wait a minute, is that a swastika on that sitcom? Is that a swastika in the movie theater? All written by Jews, <laughs> yeah, and mostly performed, right? And, I mean, that, and that's sort of like the big fuck you to the, the Nazi Party, and the, and that whole outcome is just like, hey, you know, you're gone, we're still here, and by the way, we're gonna shit all over you and make fun of your fucking ass.
0: But I would like you to just once, because because you, you say it. Routinely, when we joke around, please say the line that I love during the audition process.
1: So you hear this very beatniky guy delivering the line to like Goebbels, you know, like he's playing Hitler, but he's like, "Come on, man, let's just like, you know, we got to make Germany great again." And then all of a sudden, you hear Zero Mostel from the back of the theater.
0: That's our Hitler. <laughs> It is one of my favorite Mel Brooks lines, delivered flawlessly. All right. And then again, so the producers, I want to say about 10 years ago. um, More more than that. They you did a remake.
1: They did a well. They brought it to Broadway, and they became a humongous uh, success. Matthew Broderick, Matthew Broderick, and Nathan Lane played uh, the characters on Broadway. Wh- which role did Nathan Lane play? I can't remember. <laughs> but it was uh, fantastic. It made tons of money. They filmed a version of it. It was eh, okay. But it's um, kind of jumping ahead. But it's sort of like you can see throughout these movies the musicality. And like, you know, Springtime for Hitler had a fucking musical number. Like, it wasn't just sort of like a reference. There was a, a very memorable... Germany. Don't be screwy, be a smarty. Come and join and the, the Nazi, Nazi party. party. <laughs> that was Mel Brooks' one like line, like that was his voice in the uh, song. But anyway, you know, later in the two thousands, he decides to produce what he had f- done for film into full blown musicals. But we'll get down to that. Um, what was not turned into a musical, by the way, uh, was maybe his next big movie, yeah. which ushered in a whole new like. We talked about him ushering in a whole new era of, te- of television comedy, and now we're getting into the early 70s, mid-70s.
0: I mean, so so he goes right from show of shows to creating and get smart to getting into movies and having a hit with producers. Um, he's did other movies, but like Joe said, fast-forwarding a few years, it's like 74 now, he does... Uh, I, I have a lot of favorite movies, but this one... No matter how many times I will rework my list, if not in the top 10, it will never not be in the top 20. Uh, Blazing Saddles. What in the wild, wild world of sports is going on here? We almost lost ourselves a perfectly good cart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we've talked about before, it's like Gene Wilder is one of my favorites, like between the producers, between... You know, Blazing Saddles. It's, if that's all he ever did, he'd be.
1: And by the way, was not the first pick to play the uh, the gunslinger. No, who? Oh, you don't know the story? I don't. Oh, gee, I it, it was actually told uh, several times on the Gilbert Godfrey podcast. But the uh, original role was supposed to be played by oh, I'm going to fuck it up, but it was supposed to be played by another actor, and he he showed up to the set literally drunk,
0: drunk off his fucking ass. Was 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 he? And, and I mean this. Was he a method actor?
1: No, no. He yeah. was he was a drunk actor. Oh, like okay. He had a be- drinking be- because
0: that's because that's the role Gene Wilder played. Right. So that's what they, sure. that. But they
1: brought him in because the you know the first scene they were filming that scene the upside down drunk. Are scene. we drunk? I don't know. Are we black? <laughs> so um, you had two replacements in this movie. Eventually, it was supposed to be this other character, this other actor. Who I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. And Gene Wilder steps in. And Cleveland Little plays Sheriff Bart Black Bart, and he was not our first choice. He was supposed to have been played by Richard Pryor. Really? Yes. And the and the movie studio said, "Fuck no," because not because of his racial humor or whatever. He was just unreliable. Like this is at the zenith of his sort of abusive, you know, drug-addled behavior. So they were like, "No, we, we're definitely not hiring the." black guy who does a lot of drugs but that white guy who does a lot of drinking bring him on
0: uh, well it's interesting because how different would it would have been it would have been a Richard Pryor movie if, if Richard Pryor was in it cleavon little just Richard Pryor's name would have overshadowed but now when we just talked about they redid the producers a couple times in a couple versions and brought it back as Broadway and we shot a movie you know 40 years later Blazing Saddles will never be redone, ever under any circumstances at all. I mean, am I wrong, or can you? You couldn't even think about doing that movie.
1: No, I don't think um, it's been said to death. If you that no, you cannot make remake Blazing Saddles in this day and age. It was surprising that it was made in 1974. Right. But this is like all in the family era. You know, they were pushing new boundaries of what was acceptable and what was, you know, out there and, and, and shocking for humor and for comedy. Gig Young, by the way, was the actor that had been uh, originally cast. He, uh, yeah, he had alcohol uh, withdrawal syndrome. So he was, um, you know, not fit to perform.
0: Well, I'm glad that Gene Wilder got it because their, their chemistry was fantastic. Gene Wilder was great. Uh, and then Harvey Korman right. as Hedley Lamar. Hedley. Hedley.
1: I'm um, reading here. I always
0: get a warped one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm reading here. Gene Wilder was supposed to be originally, he turned down the role offered to him for Hedley Lamar. And um, Johnny Carson. Really? Yes. Johnny Carson and Gene Wilder both turned down Hedley Lamar before Harvey Corman was cast. I mean, you know um, Blazing Saddles a lot more than I do because I, shamefully, I didn't see Blazing Saddles until maybe 10 years ago. I didn't grow up watching Blazing I I
0: had a very sheltered, we, we, goofy we've, childhood. We've talked about my bad parenting and it came up this week. My dad, like I said before, you know, one of the few things I remember is the comedies. And he loved the Hogan's Heroes. He loved all their stuff, all his comedy albums. I saw this in the theater with my dad. I remember. Like, you know, the yearly trip for a week in Buffalo. I mean, uh, so I can thank him for taking me to see Blazing Saddles when I'm six years old.
1: Was there anybody hotter in Blazing Saddles than
0: Madeline Kahn? Well, (laughs) when I was six, I didn't get any of the stuff. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, when you rewatch it for a million times when you're 12, 13, 14, I'm so tired. (laughs) So tired. This also
1: introduced into the lexicon of cinema a word. And which word is that? It's a word that um, is used today um, by certain people um, that should and have the right to use this word. And then there it's. Trump supporters? (laughs) And it's used by other people who do not have the right to use this word. It's the N word. The N word, this is pre pre (laughs) Quentin Tarantino. I think Tarantino looked at this and goes, That's my word! (laughs) Um. yeah, the N word is abound in this movie, and um, it's not as it's not, it's it's judiciously used. It's not like Quentin Tarantino, where like every other word is the N word. Um, but like one of the best gags in the movie is when the new sheriff is coming into town, and there's a lookout, like an old lookout with a telescope.
0: It looks like the prospector from the, everything from the Toy Story movies, right? Right.
1: The townspeople are asking him, "What do you see? What does he look like?" The new sheriff is a... And then a bell gongs, because it's like noontime or something. What? I said the new sheriff. He's a...
0: Dong. (laughs) But But my favorite thing is, so the mayor of the town, they have the whole band there, the whole procession, all the dignitaries on stage, all the important town folk. And he's holding, like, you know, a reef, and he's reading, like, through the script. And it's so great as he's slowly walking through town just dead, like like deadpan. The jaw people, dropped. Jaw dropped. The guy leaning back on his chair falls down. People close their windows and stuff. But as he's walking up the steps to, you know, meet the town folk and meet the mayor, I like to extend... This laurel and a hearty handshake to our new lifts his head up from the page,
1: blank, blank,
0: <laughs> and that that moment right there, was like wow. And then how does Black Bart get out of it? His first introductory line: "Excuse me while I whip this out." Right. Reaches into his pants <laughs> and pulls out a script. Right. <laughs> and he starts you know reading, and then every town folk in the world. You all, all you hear is all them drawing their guns and pulling back the pins and pointing at him. Yeah. At that point, Joe... He
1: pulls out his own gun and points it at his neck and goes, one wrong move and this N-word gets it. <laughs> and he's talking about himself like he's holding himself hostage.
0: Lordy, he means it. Put him down. Put him down.
1: Yeah, we're not going to reenact the entire movie. But then one final thing he's about it. this movie is... And what's played in like all the retrospectives of comedy, and then when they look back on Blazing Saddles as its revolutionary movie, the one scene that makes the the the, the hits. This is probably like, the number one hit of Blazing Saddles and most people remember of that generation, yourself included, the farting scene.
0: I think you boys have had enough, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> Where they're all all the cowpokes are sitting around a campfire. Late at night. It's uh, a two-minute scene of nothing. It's 30 seconds. Is that it? It's just it seems sp- like it goes on forever. It's, it's All it is is just a bunch of them eating beans and lifting their asses and fart noises coming out. And, you know, fart noises weren't exactly like... Nickelodeon hadn't been invented yet, so it hasn't <laughs> been as commonplace as it is now. But back then, it was just like, oh, my God. Like that, that, this was like the, the gel scene in uh, Something About Mary.
0: Okay, all right, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's like, oh my God, they're farting
0: in a movie. My my favorite scene, and it's awful, is when Hetley Lamar is signing up all the henchmen. And again, it's like all these desperados and you know, they're out on the plane and there's a sign up sheet and it's all the you know, the the, the tough looking like wranglers and stuff and it's like, What are your crimes? And it's like one guy's like rape, horse stealing, murder. Bank robbery. Rape. Whoa, whoa, you already said rape. I like rape. Sign here, please. And he's all excited. And then they... uh And then it's another guy, and then as as it starts to pan down the line, it turns into, like, you know, some Mexico, like, benditos, and then it keeps going down, and it's a bunch of Nazis (laughs) and stuff. And then, of course, you got a a couple of Klan men, and and those, there you go, it's Clayvon Little and Gene Wilder. And when he's signing up, and he's like, you know, he knows his hands black. goes, oh, his hands are still so filthy from the cross burning, (laughs) and they're trying to. Wash his hand off, and then he rips off the like the cloak and he sees it and my next impression Jesse Owens right <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my
0: god, yeah, so uh, now, now remember I'm five in a movie theater in Buffalo with my dad watching that explains so very very much, and then what does he go on to do after this in the same year with the same lead actor yeah
1: uh, uh he goes on to write my probably my Second top, top three movies of all time. Okay. Uh, Ghostbusters. Okay. Back to the
0: Future. Are you and jumping I, ahead? You want to look down at the no, list? No. You, put, you put this ahead of the other one? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. Great. Okay. Yeah. I, Young Frankenstein. I agree. Young Frankenstein. A Frankenstein.
1: <laughs> I watched this on Channel 56 in Boston. Um, not on the movie loft. <laughs> no, not in the movie loft. Um, I didn't see Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein two before I saw Young Frankenstein one. we interesting. Yeah, no. But I re- this is like one of the first movies I remember recording and watching ad nauseum, just over and over, like the jerk, over and over and over until I fucking could recite this thing in my sleep. It looked so convincingly like a 1930s movie to me, to my young impressionable mind. You know, I was like. Did they travel back in time? Did did Willy Wonka get into a time machine (laughs) with Madeleine Kahn? But it was shot so well, obviously, you know, everybody knows Young Frankenstein by now. But it was shot in black and white. It was filmed in the same studios and the same locations as the original Frankenstein movie, which I didn't know at the time. But that just lent the credibility even more so to the movie. There's just so many quotable lines. I said it to my... Significant the other the other Abby day, something, yeah. <laughs> but I said it to my, my wife the other day, uh, we were just kind of lounging around and we're expecting somebody to come over. And you know, I look at her, I go, I suggest you put on a tie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the Abbey, someone, Abbey, someone, Abbey, normal, <laughs> Abbey, normal. <laughs> I, th- I think that was it, yes, okay. Are you telling me that I put an abnormal brain into a a six-and-a-half-foot-wide, eight-and-a-half-foot-long, 400-pound gorilla? Is that what
0: you're telling me? Quick, give him the, give him the, what, what? I'm um, just doing the movie now, I'm, and I'm enjoying it. No and nobody knows what stop. I'm talking about. No, everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, uh, okay, so I Mar- can fix a hump.
1: Uh, uh, what hump?
0: <laughs> Wasn't it on your? <laughs> Wasn't it on the other?
1: Nah, never mind. Uh, they told me your name was Igor. Well, they were wrong, weren't they? Frau Brucker. Frau Brucher. Oh my God! So we're kind of rambling about. If you haven't watched the movie, you're not. You don't know. You're what not the a person that I ever want to speak to again. Gene Wilder plays. Victor Frankenstein's grandson, uh, somebody from the estate tracks him down in America. He's teaching at a university. They coax him to come over and um, sort of claim their fortune or whatever it was. Uh, he goes to, to the country, of which I do not know. It <laughs> Was it Germany? What the fuck was it?
0: Yeah, somewhere. Something like
1: yeah. that, yeah. and uh, The old
0: country. I believe
1: it was the old country. He went country. to the old country. He's greeted at the train station by Igor not Igor, played by Marty Feldman. He takes him over to the castle. He's hesitant to embrace his heritage as a Frankenstein, even though he knows deep down in his heart it's pronounced Frankenstein, and he he thought his grandfather was a quack and that it was all hogwash. And he goes on to live in the castle to learn more about his grandfather's studies and his findings and his research into the reanimation of life. And he's convinced after maybe, what, 20 minutes of reading <laughs> that it could work! So he decides to go on and dig a grave and, oh my God, we, that's just a whole sideshow in and of itself. I'm getting too far into it. I mean, the, the, the music in this, Madeline Kahn's in it, um, Marty Feldman, you know, God rest his soul, he was just great.
0: His uh, eyes, like, he had the most, like... Him and the uh, Thing, thing rashid Rasheed Caldwell is the only people who have, I know, eyes bugged out of their head more like a cartoon character. Damn your eyes.
1: <laughs> Too late. Um, uh, Igor, can you take the bags? Surely. You take the blonde and I'll take the one with the toy bin. <laughs>
0: and then what uh, a year i mean i think the only reason he didn't win an oscar that year for this is because they just kind of canceled each other out <laughs> the votes just kind of but that was great and then uh the next the next really thing of note that i put in a time capsule in, in the comedy time capsule is history of the world you know for posterity silent movie came out in 1976 I
1: I saw it I once. Like, yeah, it was it
0: was, it was it, great. You right. know,
1: high anxiety. Another decent one. I I, I I wasn't a Hitchcock fan. Well, that's
0: the whole thing. Yeah, that's like more of a parody thing at that point. You know. Yep.
1: Um, but History of the World Part one, 1981.
0: Yeah, I know. I am jumping ahead, but no, I'm, I am mean, just was, going to the. the we have to. And, like I am like, these are the movies that when I say the one director has done. Five of my all-time my all-time favorite show is your show or shows like like we've already gone down it's that arrow. Above. No, actually, no, <laughs> no. But your show of shows, you know, and we've talked about you know Coca and Sitzies Caesar and everybody. That is my all-time favorite show. Um, and again, like love the Dick Van Dyke Show, get smart. But then when you talk about the movies, these five movies that I and I know you like a couple other ones hindsight it was fun silent movie is fun but these are the five that i put on my list today but these these are the the, the 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 movies that hold up right And the history of the world is just again just there's nothing about it that doesn't
1: and what do, what one line gets quoted ad nauseum from that movie it's good to be the king it's good to be the king
0: work work jump the queen
1: <laughs> uh, what, uh, Bishop Takes the Queen What's the name of uh, what Takes the Queen
0: <laughs> Gang bang on the Queen
1: <laughs> Yeah, that also had Madeline Kahn Okay, strike that She was sexy in a lot of movies Probably the sexiest She was just like the horny nympho In everything In, in this movie in particular Especially the scene with the, the, the eunuchs and, um, and, He uh, is a eunuch He is a eunuch Is truly a eunuch. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Gregory Hines. Yeah. Oh, the uh, the Last Supper. Jesus. Yes. What? Yes. Was it uh, um, his
0: own? Who's on first?
1: Mel Brooks was playing the painter of the Last Supper, but he was live. He was painting the Last Supper, like he was literally there with the group and everybody
0: uh, on the side of the picture.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. But then there was also the teaser at the end of History of the World Part 1. History of
0: the World Part 2. Right. Hitler on ice. (laughs) Jews in In space. space.
1: They're Jews. They're Jews in space. Yeah. We would be remiss if we did not talk about the one big show-stopping musical number in the History of the World Part 1. Hands down, probably one of the best Mel Brooks-written songs ever, The Inquisition.
0: The Inquisition, let's begin. The Inquisition, look out, see. We have a mission to convert the Jews. Jew, 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 Jews. We're going to teach them wrong from right. We're going to help them see the light and make an offer that they can't refuse. That the Jews just can't refuse. So he grew up in the, in the late 30s and the 40s with the big show numbers, like the cast of hundreds, the... Long staircases that people will always dance. Where are you dancing from?
1: And, of course, those synchronized swimming scenes where they would all dive into the pool, cascading one after another. They had the big um, torture rack, but then it was a bunch of Jewish guys on these tumblers that were like a slot machine. Yeah. So they pulled the lever. Anyway,
0: History of the World Part 1. And now the the one that I would have thought would have been your favorite over... Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, yeah,
1: I, Spaceballs. I mean,
0: that's gotta be that's second. gotta be in your top ten.
1: Yeah, I, yes, yes. That's okay. Yes, I watched that about a month ago, and it's just fucking great. I saw Spaceballs before I saw Star Wars. That's how effed up I am. I saw Spaceballs in the theater, and I got most of the jokes. <laughs> that was one of those movies that's generational. Because when the movie came out in 87, Star Wars was passe. It was years old. It was about four years old since the return of the Jedi came by. And even people who were Star Wars fans or casual Star Wars fans thought that Jedi had kind of like, okay, it's run its course. Everybody thought it had. But by 87, a lot of mainstream critics had thought that Star Wars had been parodied to death and that Mel Brooks was a little late to the party. You know, it was sort of like, oh, okay. Well, they wrong? Right. Well, no, it was like 10 years later. And it, you know what? It didn't do gangbusters at the box office, I don't think. And it had been panned by critics. It's not one of Mel Brooks's uh, kind of a swing and a miss by some. But to me, 10 years old, seeing this in the movie theater, knowing about Star Wars enough to got most of the jokes and appreciate the humor, Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet. Joan Rivers had a, the voice of Dot Matrix. Uh, we had Bill Pullman as Lone Star. John Candy as Barf. Barf. I'm half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. <laughs> and uh, we had uh, Daphne Zunica as Princess Vespa, which I didn't know what a Vespa was at the time, but, you know. That's pretty good. Yeah. Dick Van Patten as the, uh, the king, right? Was he the, the king of uh, Druidia? <laughs> Funny. She doesn't look druish. One of the best lines, right? I said, "Take only what you need to survive." It's my industrial strength hairdryer,
0: and I can't live without it. Uh, I loved it, and it's like, and Rick. Mar- Here's the funny thing: is Rick Moranis was huge. There was when we, when you think of Rick Moranis and baseballs, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Uh, what's that other little movie that that he was known for around the the eighties? Uh, ghostbusters. <laughs> I mean, seriously, <laughs> those were like some of the biggest. Those were all blockbusters, you know. Yeah. Um. And so this Weasley little, you know, was was, was uh, one of the leading guys And Um. He was great in this. Everybody around him, you know, was great in it. Um. I think it stands up. I mean, I think it's if you like Star Wars movies, I mean, it's still. A great parody. Prepare ship for light speed! No, 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 light speed is too slow! Light speed too slow? Yes, we're gonna have to go right to ludicrous speed! (gasps) Ludicrous speed? Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take us. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Prepare ship! Prepare ship for ludicrous speed! Fasten all seatbelts, seal all entrances and exits, close all shops in the mall! Cancel the three ring circus. Secure all animals in the zoo. Give me that, you petty excuse for an officer. Now hear this. Ludicrous speed. Sir, hadn't you better buckle up? Now uh, buckle this. Ludicrous speed. Go! <laughs> <laughs> Was that Spaceball One? They've gone to plaid,
1: but but if it's Spaceball, is getting back to its not being considered his best work at the time. It's because it was looked at a little too freshly from just getting off of the Star Wars hype train, like it. Star Wars had cooled off by 87, and you in know, in your world, right? But, um, but. It lived on on videotape. Spaceball is the videotape. You're watching now. (laughs) What the hell am I looking at? Uh, Anyways. That was then.
0: This is now. Yeah.
1: When will then be now? Soon. (laughs) Uh, um, But thanks to its popularity on videotape and just future generations watching it coinciding, like growing up. Both with Star Wars and, oh, by the way, there's this little parody movie called Spaceballs. That's when it really became like, oh my god, this fucking movie's incredible. I mean, President Scroob is played by Mel Brooks, and he plays not only President Scroob, which is an anagram of his last name, Brooks. Why didn't anybody tell me my ass was so big? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> he also plays uh, the uh, Master Yogurt, where it's him on knees, merchandising, merchandising. No, Yogurt the Benevolent, Yogurt the Powerful. No,
0: no, no. I'm just plain yogurt. So those are my five favorite. But you are a big fan of... I've become a big fan
1: of. And I saw this in the theater as well. And I had that same sort of initial reaction that a lot of people had to... Or critics had to Spaceballs when it came out. It was Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I saw the pacing as like a little slow... I, I appreciated the humor. I got the, like a uh, you know I got the jokes. I didn't see the Robin Hood movie, but I I knew it enough to get a laugh out of it. But I didn't love the movie. And it starred Carrie Elwes. as um, you know he was in the Princess Bride, and he starred as the is Robin Hood. It had Amy Yasbeck as Maid Marian, uh, Richard Lewis as. Prince John, yeah, he was or great. King John, yeah. like he's,
0: Richard Lewis. Has he ever done anything where he isn't one hundred percent Richard Lewis hundred percent of the
1: time? I know, right? Hurt him, hurt him. You had um, Mel Brooks making a cameo as the the rabbi. You had Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle in a breakout kind of role. He was a chew. It was so lame. Like all of the Merry Men had the traditional kind of Errol Flynn looking hats and of course Achu's hat was turned to the side because he's the black guy he, street but then that that movie had its own great um, musical number which was actually sung to the tune of Jews in space it was Men in Tights we're men
0: we're men in tights we roam around the forest looking for heights. we're men we're men in tights we run from the rich and give to the poor that's right we've men. Made- Lights, but what would you say, or else we'll put out your lights? We're men,
1: we're men in tights, tight tights, always on guard, defending the people's rights. When you're in the fix, just call
0: on the men in tights. We're watch. So you think about it, it's like coming right out of World War II. I mean, he literally has been performing for 70 years. And what's amazing is the fact that you still got Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, and Norman Lear doing stuff today,
1: and they're all on Twitter, you know, right, right. Well, Mel Brooks is eh on Twitter, like he has somebody. He's more
0: Snapchat guy, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, they're still kicking it. Just just to kind of wrap things up, you know, we had Dracula Dead and Loving It,
0: which was the Leslie Nielsen Dracula parody. Yeah, again, I mean, it's not like any of the movies I've seen. I've seen them all. I've been like, "Oh, that's awful." Never watch it again. Like if it comes on TV, I'm not diving that, for the remote to change. That it.
1: was kind of it. For yeah, me. But
0: it's Leslie Nielsen, you know. And that was his last directorial
1: uh, outing. Was uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It? But then, of course, he goes on to Broadway, which Jacques can talk about ad nauseum for eons and eons. The Tonys couldn't give enough Tonys to the producers when it was up. Wow. Right. Um, when it came out, like, that was the fucking, like, that was, like, the Hamilton at the time.
0: Like, oh, my God. Right, right. You couldn't get a ticket to the producers. My, my only complaint is, like, every time you heard a radio ad, it's like, the new play from Mel Brooks. It's, it's not a new play, people. Right, well, you know. It's older than me. Right, it's the same. I'm not new. Same
1: story, but, like, he wrote all, you know, co-wrote the music for all of them. Um, he did the same with Young Frankenstein. Uh, I haven't seen Young Frankenstein. I haven't seen the producers. Uh, musical that is,
0: but um, you you've done a number of musical uh, renditions for Melbourne today. How come you did not? Why don't you just gloss over putting on the Ritz, which <laughs> might be my favorite of all of them? Um,
1: if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Standing in it, Oh shit! So
0: great, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So great. Peter
1: Boyle, God rest his soul. Um, yeah, put down that man! It's the monster!
0: It can't be! I said, put down that man! So that I think that wraps up our. Unless there's any like ninth hour thing you want to sneak in? I'm trying to think of a little like fun fact. Uh, no, I mean there are. Do- there are.
1: Uh, PBS did a, a t- like I think a two hour documentary on him that came out like. I want to say, like, five years ago, four years ago. It's great. It's one of those, like, American—I don't know. You don't watch PBS probably a lot, but— uh, Listen this- to you. I live
0: on PBS, <laughs> if I could find it. <laughs> channel 2. Uh, <laughs> it's the first—literally the first channel on the dial. The dial, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. All right, old man.
1: <laughs> um— it's uh, it was part of their American Experience
0: uh, series. They do all great documentaries. Right. I, there was biography. It was also PBS did it, and it was a night of uh, oh, Caesar's writers. I forget it was a play on like, and it had them all it had like Norman And again, that was another one in like, the 50- the year fifty eight, fifty nine. You know, Norman Lear was also a writer.
1: But yeah, this was this was fun. Uh, I think we obviously, like we do with all of our other subjects that we love and cherish,
0: we've uh, totally butchered it. We didn't do it. In into the gr- how can you do it justice? Uh, well, like, uh, like how, do, how have we not done a sideshow just on the producers, just on Blazing Saddles, just on Spaceballs, just on, you know. Yeah, like, why don't we just,
1: well, I mean, the, the, the only thing we can do is recommend that people actually watch those works of art.
0: Yeah. I mean, and not the, listen to the our there's... gush over it. So anyways, that's our tribute. To Mel Brooks, I, I call it uh, 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 rambling for an hour about a guy that we've never met who we love more than our children.
1: Yes, um, but uh, he will um, he will be missed. Oh wait, I'm just predicting that he's going to die between the recording and the dropping of this. How will you feel uh, if Wednesday oh my morning God.
0: you wake up? <laughs> Honestly, that will be awesome. Awful. Soft. No. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Um, And as we always say, if you guys have any suggestions other than Jacques, shut up and have Joe sing more. No. If you say Jacques, shut up and have Joe sing more, I'm behind it. But if there's some really nerdy game thing, movie thing, pop culture thing that you want us to ramble about so you can point out how little we knew and how much smarter you are than us, please send any suggestions you have. Why not put it on our Facebook page, Carnival Personnel,
1: Carnival Podcast, um, on Twitter and Facebook, and um, yeah, I know it's 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 Richard. Richard's going to be the only one to ever comment. Yeah, Richard, if you this is just for you, if you just you tell us what the next sideshow should be. You know us, right? Of course you do. By now, Um, let us know in the comments below, and Jock, don't forget.
0: Are we stopped? We're stopped, sir. Good. Well, why don't we take a five-minute break? Very good, sir. Smoke if you got them.